Thank you, Bill. And if you have children and would like them to have a special program just designed for them, just bring them to the back of our, our worship center, and we have some leaders there. We'll take them to their uh, children's church experience, and uh, we just want them to have a great day on Easter Sunday as well. I was, uh, you, you know, sometimes when people pray, your mind kind of floats away, but hopefully uh, when, you're, when someone else is praying, you're praying with them. And as Bill was praying, and I was thinking, you know, that Easter is a time where we all realize we don't have our acts together. And the church really is a place, the perfect place for imperfect people. So hopefully you, see, you feel right at home because there, is no, there are no perfect saints here, no people better than you are. But we do have a Savior who is, who is more than able to take that which we have to offer and make that which is old into something that is really new. Well, this morning uh, I've entitled the message, Is the Resurrection Ridiculous? And you might be thinking, that's kind of an odd title to a, to a Sunday in which you're supposed to celebrate the resurrection. But we need to recognize that there are many people around the world that, number one, don't celebrate the resurrection or don't celebrate Easter in the way that we're trying to do this morning. And also, if you really ask them why, some would say it's because I don't really believe it's true. I don't think it really happened. It's just ridiculous. And a couple of years ago, I, I, I watched a documentary by Bill Maher. I don't know if you've ever watched any of his stuff, Real Time with Bill Maher. And he's a comedian, and like most comedians, they think they're experts in politics and legal matters, and particularly faith, religion as well. And really, his supposition is that all religions are just ridiculous. And if you buy his premises and the way he tries to demean everybody who has faith, that you would be convinced that it is all ridiculous, religious, uh, kind of a combination of religion and ridiculous. But I want to submit to you today, we're going to try to attack that question, and we're trying to attack that question in, in three different ways. One is, is it true? And then secondly, does it matter? Because even if it's true and it doesn't matter, what's the point? And then if those things are somehow uh, relevant for us, then well, how do we get in on it? What can you do, what can I do to get into that which is true and does really matter? I was sharing in our sunrise service this morning the why and the what of Easter, and, and as I was sharing, uh, I began with... What Jimmy Kimmel, who was another comedian, a late night show uh, uh, host, and he went out in the community and asked little guys, little people, little boys and girls what Easter is all about. And there was a variety of different answers. A couple answers went something like this. Uh, what did Jesus do on Easter? Uh, he passed out toys to children. And they asked, what kind of toys? Uh, Legos uh, that I don't think were really invented at that time. And then uh, another answer was, well, what did Jesus do on Easter? He, he made the Easter bunny. Uh, but I have another story about a little girl who was four years of age, and her name was Nicole. And, and uh, she, was, uh, she was a little girl that was full of life. And as she was full of life, as you can imagine, she was always excited about Christmas. Christmas is a magical time of year with all the lights and all the, all the parties and the festivity that's going on. And they, they, they were thought that was quite normal, that she was excited about Christmas. But then as the springtime came, it, it appeared that she was just excited about Easter as she was Christmas. And, you know, being normal parents, they thought that was a little kind of strange, odd. You know, why, why are you so excited about Easter? Well, they knew they had given her a, a special Easter dress and some special shoes. But it seemed much beyond that. And so they thought it would probably be pretty important that they would ask the question, well, do you really know what Easter is all about? Because she had 
than saying over and over, I'm so excited about Easter. I can't wait for Easter to come. And so then came the question, why are you so excited about Easter? Do you really know what it means? And he says, I, I know what it means. Well, what does it mean? And her answer was a one-answer word. It was surprise. And, and what did she, why did she say that? Why did she say surprise? Because really that is at the heart of Easter. Because really no one thought the resurrection was going to happen. In many ways, they had forgotten all the things that Jesus said, and they thought it was ridiculous. It, it can't happen. But Easter is all about the surprise, surprise of what happened when they went to the tomb. Surprise when they thought the significance of what it could do for their lives. Surprise when they thought this could answer life's greatest question. What about death? So this morning, we want to examine that. Is it really true that the resurrection really happened? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. If not, you can listen as I read that passage. Later on, as we look at some other things out of God's Word, and, and really what Grace Hills Church is all about is we're all about finding out who God is and how we can know Him and then live for Him. And, and really, our, our source of information is this book. And all I do, or anyone else who comes up here to teach, really just tries to find out what God has said, and then does it apply to our lives, and what does it mean? And, and so we want to look at the primary source when we think about Easter. We don't want someone else's opinion. We don't want someone else just sharing their thoughts. We want to find out what, what, did, what did God's record of this tell us. Well, let's look at it. And this comes from a, an author named Luke who was a companion friend of, of those uh, apostles of that first day. And he got all his information from eyewitnesses about what had happened. And so he records it in great detail. And if, uh, if I go to the doctors, I want to make sure they are very into details about what's going on in my body and and Luke was really concerned about what was going on in life and so he went he took great pains to find out the truth about what had happened well as we look at is it true we're going to see basically three reasons why we could consider it to be actually an event that actually happened number one eyewitnesses number two an empty tomb and then extra collaboration so in some ways what we're going to look at this morning is we're, we're all in a courtroom and you're all the jury and what's happening here is, is people are giving some evidence as far as why you ought to believe that this is something that's more than you would just have happy thoughts about, you know, wishful thinking, uh, believing something despite the, the, the ridiculousness of it. But is it really true? Well, Luke, actually backing up a little bit, make sure we're knowing who we're talking about. In Luke chapter 23, we, we go back uh, to Friday. And let me just say, some of those children that Jimmy Kimmel interviewed, they did get it right. Uh, some said, well, what happened during the Easter season? And, and one of them answered, Jesus died for our sins. And then what else happened on Easter? And another person responded this way, Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how do we know those actually happened? Well, we know that he died because in 50, uh, Luke 23, verse 55, now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Let me just submit to you the, 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 the obvious reality. If, if someone has died, they're going to put him in a what? They're going to put him in a grave. They're going to put him in a tomb. You don't put live people in tombs. And, and then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. So on Friday, Jesus died, and on Saturday, uh, he was in the tomb, and then, then Sunday arose. And, and what happened on that particular day? In Luke chapter 24, we have these words recorded for us. 
But on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, at early dawn in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, now what were they going to do with the spices? Were they going to put them around the tomb so the tomb, you know, was smelling well? No, they, they were going to anoint the body. That which had been partially uh, anointed with spices, it was wrapped, the body was wrapped. But they, because of the timing of the, the day on Friday, they, they didn't have enough time to prepare the body complete with all the perfumes and spices they would normally do in an honored body. And, and so they came to finish their job. And, and verse 2 it says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So what do we have here in the account of that first Easter Sunday? We have women first going to that place where Jesus had been laid in the tomb, and they found him not there. They found the tomb empty. And so what I want to say to you is there were some eyewitnesses to Jesus not being there, the empty tomb, and it was first the women. Now, now the reason I'm identifying that is if you were to try to, to write a story in the first century about convincing other people in a written document that something had happened, you wouldn't pick women. And, and let me say this, and this is not the message this morning, but some people look at Christianity and they think Christianity may be a religion that puts women down. But let me tell you, wherever Jesus has come and gone, the message of Jesus, women's status has always improved, not been lowered down. It's always increased in terms of their importance and status, not decreased. And part of it, you see this even on Easter Sunday, because women in that day, uh, they, they were considered, I don't know what word I would use to describe them, but they, they had limited social and public authority. If you had a particular case that you took to court and you needed some witnesses on your behalf, you would never pick women because women were not considered viable witnesses. Now, sometimes we think women are a little bit more gullible than men, but let's be honest. I've met just as many gullible men as I have gullible women. It's not a gender-specific characteristic. But in that day, women were not given the ability to give testimony to the truth of something. But, but Jesus didn't see that that way. The women came first, and they were the first eyewitnesses that Jesus was not where he had been laid just two days before. So we have the women first, and, and then they go on. While they were perplexed about this. Now, part about eyewitnesses is sometimes we think that eyewitnesses are people who are already predisposed to, to believe what they're saying they believe, Right? In other words, I'm already wanting something to happen. If I want it bad enough, then it's going to happen. Uh, sometimes if you play sports and, you, and you, you want something to be out of the line that you're playing, then if you want it bad enough, when that ball is in the court, you're thinking and seeing it outside the court because you want, you want, you want to win so badly. And, and we need to understand that when the, when the women came to see Jesus, they weren't expecting him not to be there. You need, to, you need to understand these witnesses were reliable because they weren't predisposed to think that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, they should have, but they weren't. They were coming to anoint his body. And if he had been risen from the dead, his body, what? Wouldn't be there. But it was there, and they were just confused. They were not expecting this. They wouldn't have brought the spices to anoint his body. 
So you have the women first, which was unusual in that day, and yet it happened. You had an opposite expectation of the people who saw that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And then you have something else, which is kind of an interesting experience. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now, just reading this account, and if you look at the other accounts, you realize these men were not earthly messengers, but they were what? Heavenly messengers. They were angels. Now, I, I don't know if any of you have ever been touched by an angel. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you have an experience with an angel. And if you have, quite frankly, don't tell me. I don't even want to hear the story. Uh, <laughs> but it, you know what the Bible says about angels today? That, that, that it, it, It's not that angels have stopped doing God's work. We, we believe that God's, God has... Uh, realms in heaven that he is leading and controlling. But, but it says in, in Hebrews that if, if you were to interview an angel, you need to be careful when you, when you have people you come in contact with, you, you need to be careful because you might be entertaining angels unaware. You know what that phrase means? Is that if an angel does show up, you're probably not going to know it. And some of you might have had some near-death experiences. You might have had some times where you wonder, oh, how did I get out of that? My guardian angel might, might have shown up. And quite frankly, he might have. Or, but the reality is you wouldn't know if he had in any way. But, but if an angel did show up, I would say this, and you did know it, that means something very, very significant has happened. And all I want to say is, is I think about reasons to believe, evidential things that have happened have been recorded. One of the reasons is that, that God showed up in miraculous ways by, singing, by sending people from heaven to confirm what was happening here on earth. Doesn't that make sense? If an, ever an angel was to show up, this would be appropriate time, right? At his resurrection. And quite frankly, they weren't, again, they weren't predisposed to think an angel was going to be there because when those two men in dazzling clothes, and I don't know where it was, my halo isn't always showing as, as well as I'd like it to be, but they were shining forth the presence of God. So much so they knew this was not mere mortals that were speaking to them. Now, in other accounts, in Matthew and Mark, it says, uh, that there was one angel that talked to them, and here we have two angels. This, it's not a contradiction. It's simply, you know, two reporters only speaking about the angel that spoke. But they encountered something beyond what they had anticipated, and yet it was happening. Because even when they saw the empty tomb, they were thinking of other reasons why that tomb might be empty. If, if, we're, if we're thinking for a moment, we, we could have that same thought as well. Well, the reason the, the tomb is empty because someone did what with the body? They stole it. They took it away. Now, if you begin to think, well, well, well then why, why, why were the Roman guards still not there? You know, why, was, why didn't any other time after Easter Sunday, didn't they present that body to say, look at this, this Christianity stuff, this resurrected Jesus is not true because look, we have the body right here. So God sent the angels to, to clarify very, at the very beginning, and there was other ways he, God collaborated the evidence. He said, he sent some angels and said, look at he is not here. 
And the reason he's not here is not because you went to the wrong tomb. It's not because someone stole the body. It wasn't because somehow Jesus wasn't really dead, which is just ridiculous if we're going to use that word, because the Romans were pretty good at knowing whether people, when they got crucified, actually died. The reason he's not here is he's risen. So, so why would we believe it's, it's true, the resurrection? Number one, there were, there were witnesses, surprising witnesses, the women first. Uh, witnesses that weren't really expecting this to happen. And then God supernaturally confirmed that this actually happened because he sent angels to confirm it. But, but let's look a little bit further. What did the angels say? He said, remember how uh, he is not here, but he is risen. And then he says this, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Now he's referring to, to Jesus what he had said when he was, uh, before he went to the cross. Saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then verse 8 simply says this, and they remembered his words. Why, why should we believe this is a story that actually happened? Well, you know, the Bible's a pretty big book, and we take as much time as we can to try to understand this book. And the, the Bible is full of prophetic statements about the promised one who is to come, the Messiah. And as we think about the resurrection, one of the reasons we believe it is because of prophetic fulfillment. What was said in the past actually came to be in the present with Jesus uh, in an amazing way. Uh, it happens at Christmas where the Messiah had to come at a particular place, be born in only one location in the entire planet, and that was Bethlehem. And not only did he have to come in a particular place, he had to come in a miraculous way, by way of virgin birth. And, and when you think about that, not only that, there were so many different things throughout his life that had to be fulfilled exactly according to the plan. And the grace of all things, as you think about the, the cross, you can see so many things that throughout the book of Psalms and other places where ex the exact ways in which G the Messiah was to be put to death was done uniquely through Jesus. But more than that, what happened on that third day was not an accident. It had been declared by Jesus very plainly. They should have already known that when I die, three days later, I will rise from the dead. So we're building a case for why we ought to be convinced that Jesus is what we claim to be. But, but let's look, look a little bit further. After they remembered these words and believed the things that uh, they had been told before, uh, verse 9 says, And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also, the other women within, with them were telling these things to the apostles. And let me just tell you the truth. Sometimes, if you have unnamed witnesses, you know, the, the, the strength of that testimony is weakened, isn't it? Have you ever heard, ever had someone come up to you, you know, someone has said, and then they fill in the blank with whatever it is, and they say, well, who said that? Well, I, I'm really not at liberty to say. Anybody had that experience? Okay. Well, whenever you hear that, then I would tend to say, don't put a lot of credence to that testimony. But when, when God, these, these, these eyewitnesses were named, you, you go up to them and say, this really happened? 
But they went to the 11, the ones who should have probably known more than any other what was going to happen and expected to happen. What was their response? Verse 11. They were, but these words, the words that these had told them those things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. Now, it doesn't say they could not believe them, but it said they would not believe them. Have you ever had someone tell you the truth and you just didn't want to believe it? Right? I mean, you, you're just skeptical or you, you're just hoping to hope that, that, that you just can't wrap your mind around it. And, and so as you think about this record, this record that's told about the ones that were closest to, to Jesus, it doesn't put them in the, the most um, positive light. Isn't that true? I mean, if I'd been one of the 11, had been with Jesus for three years, seen all his miracles, heard all his teachings, heard him multiple times tell me this was going to happen, and, and then I ran, wouldn't even go to the cross, and was hiding from anyone who, who might, might recognize me as one who had followed Jesus. And then I, then I began to, to hear about Jesus not being in the tomb. You would have thought I would have, I would have just embraced that. But we, again, we need to understand that not only the, the first witnesses weren't expecting this to happen, even the later people who became eyewitnesses of the resurrection, they initially did not believe. And in some ways, that's true of all of us here. I, I, I know many of you personally, and, but many of you I don't, and I, I don't know what your story is and how your story is continually to have its chapters written and read by others. But every one of us comes into this life initially disbelieving. Maybe we hear about the story and, and, and it's, it's an awesome story, but how do we know it's true? How, how do we know this is, this is something that actually happened? And, and there, comes, there comes to be a time where we have to pass from hearing the story and then believing the story. And, and this was true in that day, just like this day. Sometimes we want to look back at people 2,000 years ago. They're just primitive people. You know. they, 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 were so, they were so gullible that they just, they just wanted to believe it. That was not true of them, and it's really not true of us. And maybe part of their disbelief, they recognize that if they really now began to follow this afterwards, that there would be a cost to it. But I want to submit to you, and we're going to see this in a little bit later, that, that this is initial reasons to believe. I, I don't want you to believe anything that's not true. If this is not true, do not believe what I'm preaching today. But if it is true, that all of us will stand either reward or judgment based on are we trusting this or not. There were evidences, evidences of eyewitnesses. But then there was this the simple evidence of the empty tomb. In verse 12 it says this, But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. So he went to the tomb, and, and Jesus had already been wrapped in linen cloth, and, and it, it, was, it was laid in such a way that it was like he evaporated from it. If you're going to steal a body, you're going to steal with everything on it and just take away. But it was just like he had been evaporated from that linen because he, he rose from the dead. 
you know, one of the telltale signs, and you can go to various places where religious people have holy places, and those who have been the main figures of starting that world religion, you can often go to places where their grave is. And those who are proponents of that world religion, they believe that's the place where that leader has been buried. You go with the followers of Jesus to the place where Jesus was buried, and we believe Jesus is not there. <laughs> you ever heard the people talk about Elvis? Elvis has left the building, right? Elvis is still alive. Did you see him? In fact, you can see quite a few of them at Las Vegas if you want to go there. Uh, but you know what the real reality of, of Elvis is? If you go to Memphis... You can find him in, in a Doric-style mausoleum with ornate bronze and brass fittings on marble in his own vault in a massive, seamless copper casket. And if someone would allow you to do it, you could open up that casket and Elvis's remains would be there. One of the reasons we totally are convinced that the resurrection happened is no one ever produced the body of Jesus, to once and for all dismiss that which would revolutionize all of history because of this man who died, rose again, and there was no one in the tomb. Why do you believe it's true? Eyewitnesses, empty tomb, and just really quickly, extra collaboration. Let me read from you one other passage, and then the other passages are all in your outline this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, who, who also was one who did not believe, almost violently did not believe, wrote these words just a few years after the event happened. In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about this is the gospel. In verses 3 through 8, he writes these words. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So, in other words, he would say, this is going to be on the test. You know, if, if you don't think about anything else I'm saying, this is something that's of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and then He was buried, and then He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then he says this, in case you don't believe it, if you don't think this is true, and then He appeared to Cephas, another, name, another language name for Peter, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. In other words, if you don't believe what I'm saying, talk to these people who are still alive, who are eyewitnesses. But some have died and fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Now that's biblical language saying this. In case you don't believe this is true, that Jesus died, buried, rose again, there are over 500 eyewitnesses who would say, I saw Jesus physically after he rose from the dead. In fact, if you count the, the numbers that are recorded, it's 515 at, at least 12 occasions, separate occasions. It wasn't some mass hallucination. It doesn't work that way. And so as we think about that, God never asks us to believe things that aren't reasons to believe. Now, this might not be convincing to you, that, that's between you and, and God. But all, I, all I'm saying is, I, 
I regularly examine my own heart and mind. Why am I communicating this message? If it's not true, I don't want to believe it, and I don't want to tell anybody else to believe it. But if it is true, resurrection is not ridiculous. It's, it's more remarkable than we can imagine. But if we think about the resurrection and its significance, it, it, it must be true, or we just need to throw it away. But if it is true, we've got to answer ourselves this question. Does it, does it really matter? I mean, there are a lot of things that are true in life that I could care less about. Okay? Uh, there's all kinds of news stations that will tell you stories that are happening everywhere. And, I mean, they might be fascinating to some people. They aren't necessarily fascinating to me. Does it really matter that Jesus rose from the dead? We, we've got to answer that question for ourselves. Well, again, let me, let me not just give you my thoughts. Let me give you some thoughts about writers in the New Testament and what they said. And I would say the, the answer to the question, does it matter, is yes. If, and we could, we could multiply the answers to this, but I'll give you four. It's yes if, if, if you need hope. If you need hope in this life. In 1 Peter 1.3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed means say praise, kind of praise. I'm speaking just uh, a word of thanksgiving to God, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. And maybe you've heard that phrase, born again. You know, how do people get into the relationship with God? Well, they've got to be not just born once, but they've got to be born twice, one physically and one spiritually. Uh, born again, and, and born again to what? To a hope. But what kind of a hope? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why do we have hope? Because we are, we, we are convinced that there's, there's something more to life than just what we see and experience now. And there's a reason to live now. There's a hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. You know, there's much that's been said about hope that is significant for us to to realize, you know, someone has, has, has written, you can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air. How long can you hold your breath? That's a long time to hold your breath. But, it, but it's been said, but not a single second without hope. What is hope? Here are some of my definitions. It's, it's an expectation of a better day. It's a realization that there is a preferred future. It's, it's not something now, but it's something better later. But I, I would put it this way this morning. What is hope? Hope is a reason to live. And that's why you, you can't leave, live a single second without hope. Because if you have no reason to live, then why live, right? And, and we, have, we have temporal reasons to live. But when you, when you scrape those things away, and sometimes those things aren't scraped away, they're taken away from you, right? Your family could be taken away from you. Your job could be taken away from you. Your health could be taken away from you. All those things. Why live? Because 
Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have a living hope. You have a reason to live. Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Jesus gives us a purpose and a meaning and a reason to live. Ray Johnson in his, in his book on the Hope Quotient says this, What does hope do? It Hope liberates, hope unleashes compassion, hope encourages people, hope motivates, hope helps people attempt new things, hope brings us new strength, and hope pushes people forward. Does it really matter? It gives us hope beyond those things that can take and rob us of our own hope. It's a living supernatural reason to live. But how else does it matter? It matters because, number one, if you need hope, but number one, if, if you need forgiveness. And 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And then it says this, commentary on that, your faith being worthless. You are still in your sins. Now, m- most people understand that Christianity is really at the heart of Christianity is forgiveness. If we, if we don't have a, a message of forgiveness, then, you know, what do we have? And for some, they're saying, well, I, personally, I don't really think that much about the need to be forgiven. You know, if I mess up, I admit it and then go on. In fact, they've done some surveys recently that that people really aren't that, at least among the millennials, that concerned about heaven. They say only a few of them think about heaven or death or judgment very often. I mean, if, if you ignore the things you do that are wrong, then you don't really worry about whether people forgive you or not. That's their problem. Though people say that, I'm not really convinced that's true. Because in my experience with people, one common emotion, experience everyone has, there is an experience of guilt. When you mess up and it affects a relationship, people begin to look at you in a much different way because of what you have done or are doing. Uh, People can't trust you. And and there are parts of your life you you know aren't right. And and you, you run for ways to either hide the pain of that or... Or find some kind of a solution. Well, that's why Jesus came. Guilt is the, is, the, is, the, is the result of sin. But the cure for sin is Jesus, God, forgiving us of our sin. What is... What is what does God do to our sin? And let me say, we sin for two different ways. Not one, we're, we're sin because we're broken. There's things that have been done to us. There are things that are wrong in our life, and, and we're just out of control. Maybe in obvious ways, maybe not so obvious ways. But then there's the other side of sin, and that's just we're rebellious toward God. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. It doesn't matter if it's God. We, we, want, we want to be God. We don't say that, but we, we want to be in charge. And when that happens, all it results in selfishness, locally and globally. And, and God is saying, I can forgive your sin to such a degree, I can deal with your brokenness, and I can deal with your rebellion, but you've got to come to me. There's so many word pictures that, that talk about how great 
God's forgiveness is. It's just, it's truly amazing when you look at the word descriptions in the Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, it says, he removes our sin as far as the east as is from the west. I mean, like, if you think about it too long, man, your mind will explode. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I throw your sin. It says even this, I will remember your sins no more. He puts the delete button on our sin. It talks about parting our iniquity and passing over it. We get a mulligan with God. We said, okay, it's, it's, it's even more than a mulligan. It's, he pardons us. He casts our sin in the depths of the sea. He puts a, his, our sin under his feet and just rubs it out. It says he wipes out our transgressions. You, you put them on a, a whiteboard and he wipes them off. He throws all of our sins behind his back. He puts it in the past. And the only reason we know that can be true is if Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I died for your sins, and it's true. But you've got to come to him. Real quickly, with not a whole lot of explanation, let me give you two other ones. It doesn't really matter. It does matter if... If you need forgiveness, it does matter if, if you need hope, and it does matter if you need help. In Romans 8, and 34, it says this, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? In other words, God's going to be our judge, nobody else. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who rather, who was raised. And we're only going to look at that passage which, which talks about the result of Jesus' resurrection. Who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Now, I, I will resist the temptation to do a long explanation of intercession or interceding. But basically, it, it means this. God's going to stand through his son on our behalf. He's going to be the one who needs to help us and will help us in our time of need. And, and really, we need to ask ourselves this question. How do, how do, I, how do I receive God's help? Who, who does God help? You know, there's that verse that people quote in the Bible that's not in the Bible, God helps those who what? Help themselves. That's not true. God's only people he helps, God helps those who need his help. And if you don't need God's help, then you don't need Easter. You don't need, a resur need Resurrection Sunday. Because that's, that's who Jesus came for. People who need hope, need forgiveness, and need help. And then quickly, he came to give people new life. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. If you want a new life, you're tired of the old life, then Easter is for you. And the resurrection being true is for you. If you don't need a new life, then there's nothing we can offer you. Doesn't doesn't mean that there haven't been some good things in your life, but you're incomplete, the Bible says, without Jesus. Well, fine, well, what can you do? There's a story in Acts chapter 16 where, where Paul and Silas, who were followers of Jesus, they were in prison because of their faith and they were in jail and there was something happened uh, as he, they were singing praises of God, which just blew everybody's mind there. And, 
and uh, all of a sudden there's an earthquake, and, all, and, and the, the doors of the jail broke open. And there was a jailer there who was, if he lost his prisoners, his life was now, you know, void, okay? He, he, they were going to uh, possibly even crucify him. And, and so you pick up the story in Acts 16, it says this, And, and after he had brought them out, he said, he, he came into the jail, and, 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 and Paul and Silas said, hey, we're still here. In fact, everybody else is still here. And he was just amazed at that, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Because he thought his life had been, it had been given up because he, he couldn't keep his prisoners in, in the prison. And, and here was a simple, straightforward response of Paul and Silas. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. And really, the next statement, and, and, and by the way, in your household, which means everybody in your household who does the same thing you do, they will be saved. So let me, let me cut right to the quick. H- how, do, how do people get in on this resurrection that I'm convinced is true for reasons, for evidences? And, and, and get in on this resurrection I believe matters because he'll give us, among other things, forgiveness and hope and help and life. You could say it in one word, it, it, to believe. Now, I, I want to I unpack this real quickly. What does it mean to believe? It's not just agreeing with this intellectually. Oh, I think it, it happened. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about when we say believe. It's not just intellectually agreeing that this was a true story. It, it's coming to the point, and I put it in your outline, it, you must believe, meaning trust. I'm putting my life in his trust. I'm exchanging my life for his life. I, I'm trusting him with my life. And Secondly, inherently in, in the term is, I'm going to yield control. In other words, I, I'm, not, I'm no longer running my life because I'm trusting him. I'm saying, I want you to run my life. And, and so right now, what we have is the matter of choice. What are you going to choose to do on Resurrection Sunday? Are, are you going to choose to believe it's true? Are you going to choose to believe... It really matters, and then are you going to choose to, to do what you must do? Stop believing just in yourself, but believing that Jesus is Lord, He's God, He's risen from the dead, and He's inviting you to relinquish control of your life to Him and trust Him. Today I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm going to lead us all in a very simple prayer. And if you've never made that step of faith, make it today on the greatest day of all days, remembering the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want you to be the leader of my life. I want to give up control. I want to follow you. I don't want to live for self, but for my Savior. I want to live for that which is true. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you made that commitment today, I, I just encourage you to tell somebody about it. Tell me that you made that commitment. Tell somebody else maybe who brought you. Let us know uh, how we can help you to, to continue on living out 
the faith God has put in your heart. Now, as we continue to worship Him through our giving and through song, we invite you to just rejoice in the truth of the resurrection of Jesus.